Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. First, let us pray. Startle us, O God, that we would hear this old story in new and surprising ways. Reveal yourself to us in this time through your word that we would live into being your people. Amen. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of God the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the first Bible stories we ever learn, or at least one of the first Bible stories we remember, is the story of a man named Noah and a mighty flood, the story of animals and pears and an enormous ark, the story eventually of sun and a bird and a branch and a rainbow. Do you remember the last time you saw a rainbow? I was driving down Elmwood Street toward Bull Street on my way back to church one afternoon. I nearly ran the red light at Sumter Street because I looked up and I saw that arc in the sky and I couldn't look away. There's just something about rainbows. Even as adults, we point them out to one another with urgency and excitement and joy building in our chests so much so that you can hear it come out in our voices. It soaks up into us. Come and look, we say to one another. Look at the rainbow. A number of years ago, I was preaching at a gathering of Presbyterian mission co-workers in El Salvador. These good folks, they had gathered from all over Latin America where they partnered to improve access to education and clean water and health care. Once every three years, they gathered for a week-long retreat. I was their preacher, someone who didn't know the work they did and could not speak enough Spanish to get by without a translator. It was not the best plan, 
And for the first days, things were undeniably tense. We stumbled our way through, though, and all the way until the final day when we were kept inside by heavy rains. Only toward the end of the day did it finally subside and a rainbow peeked through the clouds. Look, a man named Robert said, and he directed my attention to all of the colors. It's a reminder, he said. It's a reminder that even when it's hard, even when we don't see eye to eye, we still belong to one another. This is the sign of the covenant, God said, a covenant between me and you and all living creatures for all future generations. It was a few years after that that I officiated my last wedding at Village Church in Kansas. It was the wedding of Allie and Abby. Allie and Abby, they were in love, but they and their families were a little afraid. Kansas is home to some of the very finest people I know. Kansas is also home to the Westboro Baptist Church and all of their picket signs and messages of hate and they had been to village before. No rainbows, Allie and Abby said. We don't want anything to draw extra attention. Their wedding was beautiful. One of my favorite photographs of that day still hangs on my office here, on the wall in my office here in Columbia. It's a photo of the church exterior and it was taken while the rest of us were still inside finishing the ceremony. It was as best as we can determine just a couple of minutes before the wedding's final blessing. One of the photographers, she had gone outside to catch that moment when Allie and Abby walked down the aisle and then out the actual doors of the church. Allie and Abby had begged, no rainbows because theirs was the first wedding in that town since laws had changed, since church process and court rulings found the right side of history. Now you can guess how this ends, of course. Allie and Abby walked out of their church hand in hand, newly bound to one another in a covenant of their own, to find not one, but two enormous rainbows framing the church building and filling the sky with promise. It was a sign, their families said later, a sign that we don't have to be afraid. I have set my bow in the clouds, God says, and it is a sign of the covenant that I have established. The story of a man named Noah and a mighty flood the story of animals in pairs and an enormous ark, the story of sun and a bird and a branch and a rainbow. That story is about many things. But the rainbow is God's promise that we don't have to be afraid and that we can be at peace. The rainbow is God's everlasting covenant with all of creation. It is a gift and it is, as one preacher puts it, a colorful corrective for anyone who believes that all of the grace of the Bible is found in the New Testament. It is not. The sacred story is full of grace from the very beginning. We have an almost adverse way of fighting it off, though. 
It's almost as if we can't stand too much good news. Because first there was Adam and Eve, who along with all of creation were deemed good and very good, free to roam about in the Garden of Eden, free to do as they pleased and free to eat anything they like, absolutely anything, save for the fruit of just one tree. That one small boundary would prove to be too much, though, and they would eat what was forbidden, and they would suddenly grow in knowledge and in shame. Aware of their nakedness, fear enters scripture for the first time. They were afraid, they say, and so God, before casting them out of Eden, God is disappointed. But God nevertheless responds to their fear, stitching together sticks and skins to fashion the first clothes. Because grace was there from the beginning. Our human patterns continue, though, with Cain and Abel, brother turns against brother, and murder, ex- and murder enters our lexicon, and envy and jealousy and competition become the currency of the day. Wickedness begins to multiply as fast as the people, leading God to finally say in the sixth chapter of Genesis, I will blot out from the earth the human beings that I have created, for I am sorry that I made them. It is one of the lowest points in scripture. Everything falls apart so quickly. We move from, and God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. We move from that to, I am sorry that I made them. And we make that move in less than five chapters. But Noah, for whatever reason, Noah finds favor in the sight of the Lord, and with that favor comes instructions for an ark, basically a giant floating barn with turtles and toucans and hippos and bobcats and caterpillars and groundhogs and lions and tigers and bears, all of them floating above the swirling chaos where the rest of the earth is ending. It is terrible. It was awful. Barbara Brown Taylor, a preacher herself, she makes this point. We focus on Noah and his zoo because they survive, but no one else and nothing else does. The cleansing was complete and the destruction was total. It was so horrible, in fact. It was so horrible even to God, especially to God, that God promises never to will such a thing ever again, saying to Noah and to his sons, I am establishing my covenant with you and to your descendants after you and with every creature that came out of that ark that never again Never again shall all flesh be cut off. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Never again. And I will set my bow in the clouds. And when I see it, I will remember my covenant. I will remember it always and forever. It's fascinating to me that God says the rainbow is for his own reminder. 
not ours. My friend Sarah, she has twin seven-year-olds. And when they were just a few months old, I flew to see her and my main job was to hold whichever of the two didn't need her more at any given moment. And one day as her daughter was screaming her head off and Sarah bounced her in a futile attempt at soothing her, I heard Sarah whispering, Zoe Winsett, child of the covenant. Zoe Winsett, you are a child of the covenant. And I told her I thought that was just so incredibly sweet and beautiful. You're reminding them before they're even old enough to forget, I said. And I was incredibly moved in the moment and she cut me off and she said, Jenny, I am not reminding Zoe that she is a child of the covenant. I am reminding myself because right now it's pretty easy to forget. I will set my bow in the clouds, and when I see it, I will remember my covenant, and I will remember my promise to you. From a theological perspective, the history of the world is really the history of God's promises to us. The promise of peace to Noah, the promise of land and a nation to Abraham and Sarah, the promise of law and instruction to Moses, the promise of a child to Mary. They all come at different times and to different people in different circumstances, but they are all the same promise when it comes down to it. They are all the promise of a relationship of a real and ongoing and authentic relationship with God. I will remember my covenant, God says. The thing is, most covenants are mutual. And most of them spell out with remarkable specificity what is expected of each party, what each participant will and will not do. But this covenant with Noah has no conditions whatsoever. There is not one word about what Noah will or will not do. It is entirely about what God will and will not do. I will never again cut off all flesh with a flood, and I will never again destroy the earth. I will put a rainbow in the sky, and when I see it, I will remember what I have promised. God knows he will sometimes need a reminder, just like my friend Sarah sometimes needed a reminder. Because the truth is, humankind doesn't change after the flood. We are not miraculously made better by what we've gone through. Miguel de la Torre, in his commentary on Genesis, he is quick to point this out. Wickedness springs up on the earth before the flood, he says, but it isn't long after that it returns. The waters have barely receded before Jacob steals Esau's birthright and Aaron dances around a golden calf and all the rest that follows. 
The story of the flood is not a story about a change in humankind. It is not a story about a change that takes place in us. The flood is a story about the change that takes place in God because God swears off retribution and chooses relationship instead forevermore. Never again will God repay betrayal with betrayal, and never again will God let sorrow lead him to destroy. Instead, God binds himself to creation and promises himself to it, even though he knows enough and has seen enough to know it will hurt him, to know that we will hurt him. But in this moment and in this story, God says, I will let myself be hurt. I will bear that pain, no matter the cost. God's promise is a promise of life, a promise of death no more. And that is what we remember throughout Lent. This is the season when we are shown again and again and again the depth and the breadth of God's love that will never, no, never, no, never forsake us. Never again. We have been in the midst of a long and mighty storm, you and I. We have been trapped inside a smaller and darker world than we are used to. And it has been way more than 40 days. And like Noah and his zoo, we are waiting desperately for the sign that it is safe to come out again. But the story of Noah and the promise of God, it assures us that even if it feels like it's been forever, since the sun has touched our faces, and even if the giraffe's neck is a little bit crooked and sore, and even if the eagle's wings will need to stretch a bit before they can fly again, and even if our singing voices will need a warm-up, and even if our arms will have to remember how to hug again, we are not alone in the ark, and we will not be stuck there forever. We are not trapped forevermore by this pandemic, nor any other storm that life may have in store. Because the floodwaters, they always recede, and the ark's hatch, it always cracks open, and the rainbow always stretches across the sky. Because God's promises, God's promises for life, not death, and God's promises for flourishing, not fear. And God's promises for delight, not despair. For embracing, not isolating. For relationship, not rejection. God's promises are always and ever true. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.